Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Jesus said, can you drink of the cup that I am going to drink? In one of the parallel passages, he says, can you be baptized in the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? They answer, we can, without even thinking. This is something that they should have thought about. When I feel like God's asking me a question, I always want to answer really quick, but I've learned just to take my time and wait. In the kingdom of God, to be a leader is to be a servant. This is exactly what Jesus modeled when he came to earth. Not only are we to serve, but Jesus wants us to be prepared for whatever comes with surrendering all to follow him. That might mean suffering and persecution. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are digging into the passage in Matthew where Jesus talks about the very reason he came, to serve and to give his life. Are you ready to do the same? With Matthew 20, 20 through 28, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you that you have preserved your word from generation to generation. That through all of the thousands of manuscripts, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, new discoveries of new manuscripts of the New and Old Testament, that we are confident as we study your word, that we are receiving what you gave these people, at least in essence. And we pray that we would receive what's here in a really powerful way, that you would speak to us because we want to be used by you. We want our lives to count. And so we surrender them to you and we ask you to bless in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Today we're going to be looking at leadership lessons from Jesus. There is a principle in Christianity that is called the inversion principle. Even though you might not know what it's called, I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with it. When Jesus says something like, the last will be first, or take the lower seat at a feast and not the better seat, or if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled, and if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. And this is prevalent throughout leadership within the church, that we are to be a servant in the world, those who rule over people, lord over people, but that's not what we're supposed to do. Jesus said, be like me, this, I'm the son of man, and I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. So we're going to see this inversion principle all the way through our study today. It is so radically different than the world. The world motivates in leadership by teaching people to grab a hold of things. They say things like, believe in yourself, think positively, make your own reality, sell yourself to those that you want to, well, I'm not sure what they say there because my notes are messed up. Don't, don't settle for leftovers. Get aggressive with your future. Th those are the kind of things that you hear in modern motivative speaking for leaders, but this is such a different thing than what Jesus ever said. We're not to have that kind of mindset at all. I would like us to read our text, and then I want to come back and break it down. So we're going to read our text, we're going to come back and break it down, and then at the end I want to look at seven principles that Jesus has given us on leadership. So in Matthew 20, verse 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons 
came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, and asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. <laughs> is that all? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink of the cup that I am going to drink of? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will indeed drink of my cup, but to sit at my right hand and left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom they have been prepared for by my Father. When the ten heard about this, minus James and John, who went before Jesus kneeling to ask for that grand place, when the ten heard of this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together. You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that Jesus doesn't discourage them in their desire to be great. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to do nothing through selfish ambition. But that doesn't mean that there's not a godly ambition. We've been given a life. We've been given gifts. We've been called by Him. We've been given positions within the church. And to want to be used by God, to want your life to count, to want to be a good light, Jesus has called us the light of the world, to want to be a good light that points to Jesus, to want to be effective salt in the kingdom of God, that's a good thing. But what Jesus does, he doesn't rebuke them. He says, you know, shame on you guys for wanting to be great. Doesn't say that. But what he does say, or what he does do, is redirect them. He shows them that there's a different way that if you're looking at the world and looking at the kingdom of God, the things in the kingdom of God are going to be radically different. Before we look at what some of these principles are, let's go over this text. Let's unpack this text. We know who Zebedee's mother is. It's Salome. Many believe that she is the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which would make James and John cousins of Jesus. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he's on his way to Jerusalem. There's been a lot of miracles. Soon they're going to have the triumphant entry, and that will really get these disciples thinking about who's going to be great in the kingdom of God. They've got to be thinking now, as Jesus' popularity, huge in the beginning, waned in the middle of his ministry, and now is building again. And they've got to be thinking, how fortunate for us that we got in on the bottom floor, that we're the original 12. We, we got in at just the right time. But I wonder who's going to be greatest among us. And isn't that just so much like us? We so compare ourselves with ourselves. The Bible says he who compares himself with himself is not wise. I find myself battling that all of the time. It's so hard for me not to compare myself to other pastors. Sometimes I'll see someone on YouTube or on Facebook and I'll watch them for a little while and I'll think, they're really good. They're much better than me. 
Other times I see people and I go, hmm, man, what we go and it's got going on is a lot better than that. And that reveals my heart. I'm comparing myself to them. I'm wanting to be great. The same thing they struggled with is the same thing that we struggle with as well. I see it with people who attend churches as well. I see it with people who used to attend Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa when Pastor Chuck was alive. And I would talk with them and they'd say, they would say, we go to Pastor Chuck's church. And I would want to go, well, la-ti-da, aren't you special? Or someone who goes to Charles Swindoll's church or David Jeremiah's church. When you run into them, it could be like, you know, I'm a Paul, I'm a Apollos. It can be like, well, I, I, I've gone to David Jeremiah's church my whole life. Well, good. Because you know what? David Jeremiah is an awesome pastor, and I'm sure it's good. But this whole struggle for greatness is not a problem. The problem is, is that we compare it to other people. Instead of just saying, what have you given me, God? What do you want me to do? How can I use the gifts that you've given me for the kingdom of God? and stop looking for who might have 10 talents or five talents or one talent, that's exactly what these guys are doing. So Salome goes with the sons of Zebedee, which of course is James and John, which are part of the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And they've got to think that if they are the inner circle and Jesus takes them to special places like the Mount of Transfiguration, like in to see the little girl risen from the dead, they've got to think that they got a pretty good shot at being the greatest. And so basically what Salome's doing is cutting out Peter. Basically they're going, well, you got Peter, James, and John. Let's go and ask him first. Who, whoever can ask first, maybe they'll get it. And so they go, she goes with her sons. Her sons are in tow. Another passage says that James and John went and asked. And some people say there's a discrepancy there. There's not. The other passage just tell, doesn't tell us about Salome being there. But James and John are in tow. The mom gets there. And she says, uh, she kneels down. In fact, it looks like they all knelt down and asked him a favor. Can you do me a favor? One of the other passages says, she says, I've got something to ask you. Will you do it for me? That's, that's kind of what kids do. Here's what my kids would do. Your kids would probably do the same thing. They would say something like, I, I really got something to ask you, but I don't think you're going to say yes. You guys, your kids ever say that? Can you say manipulation? Can you say those little ones have learned how to manipulate? I finally got to the point where I would say to them, well, then there's no use in asking. If you know I'm going to say no, then, then you know, what, what are we going to do? Let's go do something else. Well, no, 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 I really want to, I really want to do this. That's kind of what she does. She says, I have a favor to ask him. Before, in the other passage, she tells him before, I want you to say yes. And he says, well, what is it? In verse 21, she said, Grant that one of these sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left. What I love about this question, she doesn't have one in mind. She's like, they're both good boys, right? Like any mother would say, oh, he's a good boy. Always cracks me up when I hear a mom say that of, of her son. He's such a good boy. But hey, that's what we think about our children, right? And it doesn't matter which one. One sit on your right and one sit on your left. One's a more important position. The left side was more important in their culture. And she says, it doesn't matter to me, either one. I just want them to be my children. She's doing for her children what she thinks is a good thing to do. And which one of us wouldn't do that for our kids? Am I right? Your kids have an interview. And if you know someone that's in the interviewing process, isn't it hard not to go and talk to them? I have a son who's a paramedic and he's been a firefighter. 
and he's had all kinds of interviews that have taken place. And especially, we know several people here at the church who are, who are high up in the fire department. Really hard not to go, maybe I'll go give a word for my boy. You know? So we can understand it, but it's really funny when you think about it. She wants to secure this position in all of eternity for her two boys. And then he said, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink of the cup that I am going to drink? In one of the parallel passages, he says, can you be baptized in the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? They answer, we can, without even thinking. This is something that they should have thought about. When I feel like God's asking me a question, I always want to answer really quick, but I've learned just to take my time and wait. If I feel like God's speaking to me, wants a response from me, that I would really wait for him. They say, we can. Now, what he means is the cross. What he means is a scourging. Salome was one of the women who went to the cross with Mary. Mary, Salome, Mary Magdalene, and another woman were there at the cross with Jesus. I wonder as she watched Jesus die, if she noticed the two crosses that were next to him and thought about this question that was asked. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am able to drink from? Do you know what you're asking, Jesus said. And they said, we can. Interestingly enough, they do. James is the older and John is the younger. James is considerably older than, than John. And when you think of James and John being chosen by Jesus to be part of the inner circle, then you think that he's grooming them for leadership. And he is. But leadership looks radically different with each one of them. For James will become the first of the disciples to be martyred. Herod sets his hand out against James, takes him, and beheads him. And James is suddenly, within the first 10 years of the church, James is suddenly gone. All of that that Jesus had invested into James, you might think that Jesus had invested that into him for the long haul. But what he invested it in was that he would have the privilege of being a martyr. And the Bible teaches us clearly that it is a privilege to be a martyr for the kingdom of God. And James had that. John was the youngest of the disciples and he will live to be the oldest. And most scholars believe that he died a natural death but it doesn't mean he didn't suffer. He was called before the emperor Domitian. And history tells us that Domitian, Domitian convicted him to death and boiled him in oil, to which he miraculously survived. Some records of it say that he survived without any scarring, but not most of them. Those seem to be apocryphal. That he bore in his body the pain of those burns, which would kill most people. And then surviving that, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. So he suffered greatly. In fact, when you think of James and John and one of them dying fairly soon compared to, to Jesus's death and resurrection and the other one that died so long away from it, you think, which one got the better deal? Was it James or John? And to this day, I can't tell you. When I think about it, I don't know which one would be better. I wonder about that today when God takes one of our loved ones, someone who loves Christ, away. 
Did, did we get the better deal? Did we get the worse deal? Was God doing something completely, completely different? You know, the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all these great things that people did by faith. But then it says others, others received the promises afar off. Talks about Isaiah being sawed in half. Talks about women losing their husbands to death. And this was all done by faith. By faith, great things were done. And by faith, some suffered. By faith, we could say that James became a martyr and died for Christ. And by faith, John survived being a martyr and lived for him until he was an old man, such an old man that they called him the elder. That's what he became known as, the elder. He also became the pastor of the church of Ephesus after Paul. So they will go through this suffering. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink of the cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom they have been prepared for by my Father. Maybe they would be James and John. He doesn't give them a yes or a no. Maybe one of them would sit at his right or left. Maybe someone would have those positions. What I do know is that God looks at things differently than we do. The Bible talks about us losing our reward. When we do something in front of people, there is a possibility that you are doing it to be seen by people and you lose your reward. That someone that does something quietly behind the scenes could have a much greater reward. God sees things different. God judges things different. And so there is this, this person who will be great in heaven, but I wonder if we'll even recognize him. We might, think of a, we might think of a Billy Graham or a Billy Sunday or a D.L. Moody or a Charles Spurgeon. When we get up into heaven, we're going to look at who is considered to be the greatest and we'll go, who? Who? Who was that? Verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now they're indignant probably because they want the, the best place. They're not just upset at them because they're doing something that they don't want to do. We know that these guys are chronically arguing over who's going to be the greatest. As Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, they walk on the road, they argue about who's going to be greatest, the greatest. They're in ministry in the last week, and we're told they argue over who's going to be the greatest. When they're sitting around the table, when Jesus is talking to them about leaving and, his, and giving them communion, they're arguing over who is going to be the greatest. When they walk across from that room to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So these guys are indignant. So Jesus gathers them together like a parent would gather their children who are arguing over a toy. I need to have a talk with you about sharing, right? And so it says they were indignant and Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And they and their high offices exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Note the way that he says that. Must be a servant. I don't know that this principle is always followed. It's important. Jesus said it must happen if we really want to be great in the kingdom of God. Then verse 27, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If anyone could have came to be served, it was Jesus. 
But Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's this huge principle out there that if we want to be used by God, then we need to learn how to be a servant and we are not going to lord over people, but we're going to, we're going to serve them instead. So here are the seven lessons from leadership that I find throughout the scriptures. Number one, do not take the best place. In Luke 14, 7 through 14, Jesus tells the story of people invited to a feast. And when it was time for dinner, there was a scramble. And everybody headed towards the best seat. Again, in their culture, there was a good seat and there was a bad seat. There was the least seat and the best seat. Kind of like we have the heads of the table at our homes, right? We've got a dinner table. It's pretty long. We've got two heads of the table. Because of that, because of Luke 14, I almost never sit down at the head of the table. I always put my stuff on the side because Jesus said, don't take the best place of the house. I don't want to take the best place. I don't know what's going to happen if I do. So our grandchildren sit there. Our kids sit there. We, we take the place on the side and this is the reason that I do it. But there's a principle here that goes far beyond whether or not I'm sitting at the head of the table on Thanksgiving, right? The principle is, Jesus said, don't, when you're invited over to someone's house, don't scramble for the best seat. Let someone say to you, that's not for you. And you are humbled in front of everybody. But instead, take the least seat so that when they say, hey, this one's, that's not your seat. This one's for you. And they give you a place of honor. You are exalted in front of everyone. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he said, humble yourself and you will be exalted. Exalt yourself and you will be humbled. It's a good principle. These guys were leaders. You want a position of leadership? Then don't strive for it. Make yourself available to God. Ask to be used by God. If God is stirring you up to be used by Him, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But you don't want to promote yourself. Number two, do not lord over people. That's what we find here in our text. That's what Jesus said to them. In Luke twenty-two twenty-five, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and these who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, not so among you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, there's a passage on pastoral conduct. It's the first five verses that are there. And I'm so glad that they're there because they tell us pastors how we are supposed to act. When you get to verse 2, it says this, shepherd the flock of God. It's not your own flock. It's the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. It's important to oversee, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not because you have to, but because you want to. I always say to a pastor who says, I'm just so tired of it. I'm so sick of it. I don't want to pastor anymore. I say, quit. Go sell cars. Go do something else. Do anything. Do it because you want to do it, not because you're forced to do it, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. That tells us that the pastorate has an opportunity for dishonest gain. It can happen in a lot of ways. It can happen when a pastor says to you, boy, you say to them, how are you doing? And they say, well, you know, we're really, really tough right now, having a hard time paying our electric bill. And what they're asking for is help, right? You can do it by by being dishonest. This is not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. I want to 
I want to be used by God. I want to shepherd the flock of God. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.